From the Lucha Podcast Network, this is the Mass Startup Podcast. The Mass Startup Podcast profiles the most talented creators, impactful entrepreneurs, and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights, learnings, and tactics to help you build the things that you believe in. I'm Alex Thompson, co-founder of Naked Insurance. Do you remember your earliest moment or trigger to want to build something of your own versus, you know, working for someone else or going through the traditional route of school and stuff? I think when you're in, in, a, in a corporate environment, most people from time to time ask the question, you know, what would it be like doing this myself? What, what happens, you know, and it's an idea that I suppose flits into your head and then you quickly kind of have a reality check and move on with your life. And, and for some reason, that little flicker kind of kept coming up. And the truth is that, you know, we, we were probably more speculative in exploring, exploring this potential rather than were absolutely convinced that it was going to happen. And I think we entered for the guys at Yellowwoods, we probably wouldn't be here today. You know, mm. we, we went to speak to them really just to sort of present a, a crazy idea instead of waiting for them to tell us that we need to get back in our box and keep going with what we were doing. Mm. And, and they were enthusiastic. And I think that enthusiasm really helped to to get us to where we are now. Just to backtrack, you know, before going to Yellow Woods and like exploring this idea, what was your journey like going into the insurance space? Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm trained as an actuary. My, my two co-founders are also actuaries. So we've been in insurance pretty much from day one of our careers. Mm. And, you know, although, I mean, we you know, I think did a variety of things, all of us, a lot of us, we actually all had a time in reinsurance, you know, which is insurance for insurance companies, and and then all had a long stint in consulting. And and it was really, I think, you know, the one of the advantages of working in consulting is you get to see a range of things. You get, to, you, you, if you're stuck in one corporate, you, you're never quite sure what, how other companies operate. You're not quite sure how many how often the issues that you're seeing are the same issues that others are seeing. Whereas in consulting, you can see, oh, okay, they're, they're struggling with that. Oh, and so are they, and so are they, and so are they. Mm. So you start building up these patterns of the way things are actually working. Yeah. And, and that gives you, I think, a greater level of confidence that there's a systemic issue which creates opportunity. Yeah. And what were the things that you were learning about, like the space and how it operated, you know, during that time when you were in a sort of consulting role inside a company that works in insurance? that really started to build up your curiosity for how it could be different? The main, the, the main observation was around the use of technology. Mm. And, and I think today this is, I mean, this is such a, a well-worn, you know, saying or trope that, you know, that it, it's, it sounds a bit, it sounds a bit cliched, but I mean, certainly back, back in like 2014 or, or something like that, when we started seeing this, it was, it was, you know, we were noticing that, the strategy for what people wanted to do, they were all recognizing that there was a shift happening. And the shift is really a consumer shift, right? It's a shift around how people live their lives. So we were mm. seeing that, you know, almost 10 years ago, quite clearly. And, and we weren't the only ones. Everyone, all our clients, our consulting clients were seeing it. But, you know, it was, it was at the execution level that it became quite difficult. So you knew what you wanted to do, but it was very difficult to get there. A lot of, a lot of companies were struggling. And so we were working with some of those colleagues of ours at, at other insurers were working with others. We were seeing, you know, just that at the execution level, the issues with the systems, issues with the products, with the channels, even with the, the people that worked at these client companies, at these insurers, was where the, the, the strategy was falling apart, where people mm. were finding it was much more expensive or much slower, much more difficult to realize this potential. And we were seeing how it would 
conflict with with the way things have been done historically you know and and it was difficult to find a strategy where you would be able to continue with what was working but also add this new dimension this mm. new dimension where things were were much more digital yeah and when you think about insurance obviously insurance has been around hundreds of years at this point and was there pushback for the ideas that you had the things that you were speaking about as being you know we could do this differently let's integrate a lot more technology let's be a lot more transparent were incumbents in the market actually conscious of how things would change? Yeah, I think that there was some level of awareness about it. I mean, I don't think that, you know, our starting this business was completely out of the blue. Mm. But there was, and remains to this day, a lot of skepticism about the way that insurance works and how people should engage with insurance. You know, so, so fundamentally it comes down to when you buy insurance do you need a human involved in that process? And so the, the standard answer in insurance in those days, and I think largely today, is that yes, you need somebody to help you through that because the product is so complicated. You know, that mm. it's different, let's say, you know, I know, booking a hotel room or a flight or something or calling a taxi is, is different to buying insurance because the insurance has got this, you know, this long, you know, sort of policy document with yeah. all these different words you never heard of before, so many different options. How could you possibly expect an average person to figure that out? Mm. And and so there was a lot of skepticism that you could actually solve that, that that's actually something that was doable and that, you know, a lot of people in those days anyway, anyway felt that everybody really needed and would continue to need somebody to walk them through that and to help them and to advise them. Yeah. And and we we just saw that, that that wasn't necessarily the case. There are definitely cases in complex scenarios. We're talking about like large organizations that have got like multiple, you know, factories and things all over the all over the country and mm. massive fleets of cars and that sort of thing. That that those kind of things I think you do need an insurance advisor to to look at the options and to come up with a with the right insurance program. But most people's needs, most households' needs are, are pretty consistent. And if you can get the, the UX right, if you can get the way in which you communicate about the product, make the options really clear, most people can figure it out. That's certainly the experience that we've seen. And that's, and that's really supported the growth of our business is people going, oh, I finally actually understand what I'm getting. It's not my broker or mm. something that a call center agent said to me. I'm actually getting what I'm buying and, and I'm making decisions that I feel comfortable with. And of course, this is completely aligned with the way in which we do everything else these days, right? Mm. And insurance really isn't different and can be bought and managed on a similar basis to everything else. So what does day one at Naked look like, right? So, you know, you've identified this very clear issue that, you know, a lot of consumers are, are struggling with and, you know, finding the right product and comparing all of them and trying to figure out what the terms are and all these things and going, okay, actually this can be transparent. We can use a lot more technology. There's way less touch points where you're interacting with a person that might not necessarily have your best interest at heart. What does it look like to start going, okay, we need to build this? Yeah, so, I mean, we, I mean, the three of us started it and none of us are developers and yet we were starting a technology business, right? Which is <laughs> kind of crazy. 
And so, I mean, our first our first mission was to was to build a team of of people who could who could build the tech. Now, I mean, like to be fair, I, I have some very limited experience in the in the in the coding side of things. But it was, and that was a really interesting part of the journey was was speaking to different people and and trying to find find the right person to lead the technology side of the business, and then to actually get things going. You know, the so, so day one was scary. Obviously, we'd we'd given up regular salaries you know that we'd, we'd given up a senior jobs in the corporate space and and now we were just faced with this tiny team trying to get this thing off the off the ground and you know the the other thing probably worth saying here is that none of us had ever done something like this before mm-hmm. in fact none of us had really actually worked on the client facing side of a consumer marketing business and you know naked is fundamentally a consumer marketing business and and so we had to figure everything out from the brand, you know, to the to the messaging, to the obviously the the whole tech side of it. We'd, none of us had really ever worked in the UX space before. There was a, a whole lot of new things we had to to get on top of. We'd never, I think, really ever designed a full insurance system before. So mm-hmm. we were, you know, from scratch thinking about that. We'd obviously worked with insurance systems a lot, but you know, we'd never had to think about it from scratch. And and so we, because you know, because one of the things that sets Naked apart is that our systems are fully designed in, and built internally. Right? We we don't license any sort of existing insurance system. The mm. whole thing is is internally built and managed. And so you've literally got to think of every little thing from scratch. Right? And and so there was just this enormous amount of things to to engage with, which we hadn't never had to do before. Yeah. So very exciting. A, like a wild ride, a roller coaster. You know, you, you got to manage the doubts. You got to manage the like. I'm just going to embarrass myself here. You know, this is gonna, <laughs> gonna, this thing's going to like fall apart after six months, and <laughs> it's just going to be one of those things you put behind you and pretend never happened. Like take it off your CV, kind of thing. And <laughs> and you know, and so there's a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, in the yeah. back of your mind, but you're trying to stay as focused as you can on on making it succeed. What what would you say, you know, are the pros and cons of not being technical? You know, I think a lot of founders these days have some kind of technical background from building the actual, you know, product itself. But if all three of you are starting out and you all not technical, how does that change how you start to build something? Look, I think as a general rule, I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, and and probably also worth saying, like, you know, we're all technical, you know. Mm. We're all, you know, we're all sort of in, into the, the the details of 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 the data and and even of the system and that sort of thing, you know. So so it's certainly not as though we were three people who were just used to sitting in meetings and having I, I don't know just just dealing with purely on the people side the whole time. Mm. We, you know, we 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 all, you know, have got backgrounds in in maths and and science and all that sort of thing. So it's very much. Very much something we, we we could adapt to, and and like I said, I'd done a fair amount of coding beforehand. But there's a big difference between like you know I've played around a bit with coding in the past. To we're now going to design and architect a system that needs to be going big, you know, that needs to be able to support a massive business in the future. Mm. You know, and that's certainly something that I I didn't have the experience in. So, you know, it, I think that being one of the advantages it certainly brings you is that you're not the agenda that you're setting is is not getting caught up in in you know the details of of things it's like we've got to get from a to b in a short period of time we'll suspend things around 
how we're going to scale in three or four years' time. Let's just work on getting this thing done. So, you know, this whole concept of a minimum viable product yep. sort of comes with the territory of saying, okay, we need to we need to get things out here. And, I mean, your technical problems and that sort of thing, they're great, but this is where we've got to get to. So let's just make sure that we get there one way or another. So what was the Naked's MVP then? When you guys did eventually sort of put it out to the market, what was the core thing that you were really trying to get consumers to understand about what the company was doing differently from all the other incumbents? So in the beginning, it was certainly just, can you buy insurance online quickly because the data that we had as we went into it the people were telling us you know the whole time as we were starting was that 99 plus percent of people who start a digital journey on insurance end up in the call center mm. and if that was going to be the case with us we had no business so the key thing the key hypothesis we were validating was yes people will buy actually buy online and will buy the right thing Right. That was that was the key thing we were trying to establish. Yeah. And, you know, when you guys did put it out, what was the sort of initial response? And was there anything you guys were doing from a marketing or growth hacking perspective to try and get this to as many hands as early as possible? So you can start learning as many things as possible about the people that were going to use your product and how they'd actually experience it. Maybe I'll just tell one story about that, that in the early days, I think, is, was quite instrumental in how we got going. We, we worked with a guy called Paul Smith, who's quite, who's quite familiar in the, in the sort of Joburg startup scene. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he ran a, pro, a process for us that really helped us to understand how we're doing in, the, in, in that sort of MVP testing where we're going. We, we, we had done a bunch of testing, you know, with customers in the, in the early days. You know, we would put something in front of them and we would ask them, you know, and they'd play around with it, and we would ask them, do you like this? And we always got great response. Everyone was like, this is brilliant. You, you know, we, I'd, I'd definitely sign up for this. And yeah. so we became, like, really confident, and as you do, because you're always looking for, you know, some sort of validation of your business. And what he helped us to see was that that's actually not good enough. People always like entrepreneurs. They always like a new thing, and they're always going to say they're going to support it. But you've got to be able to escalate the commitment from them. You've got to get them to for example, sign a piece of paper to say, oh, no, no, I will sign up when I, you know, when I, when, when, when you guys launch. Mm. You know, this is all sort of in the, in the concept phase, right? And what we found is we escalated that commitment from people is that actually fewer and fewer people were genuinely interested in what we were doing. And that really helped us to, to focus on, you know, on what was important, on how to communicate about it, on, and on what market was going to be our earlier adopter market. Mm. And and that certainly in the early days, there wasn't you know you know it, it was a it was quite a niche product right it was something which your the person that like really hates call centers was going to jump on and that was that was the market that we focused on in the beginning. I think that's a big market. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. If yeah. you told me you can create something for me to never have a call center call ever again, I'd be I'd sign up for that. Just that. Well, Nothing you're in our else. market, man. That's it. <laughs> Look, in the beginning, you know, that was really, I think, the, the main market, you know, that, that you could just, you could do this quickly and easily. It was low, low hassle, you know, and, and no, you know, no need to speak to anyone. You can if you want to, but there's no need to speak to anyone. And, and, that, and that definitely catalyzed something. And, and, you, and you're right. It was way bigger than we anticipated. Like a lot of people would, 
would, would tell their friends about it just by virtue of the fact that I could buy insurance in three minutes. I didn't need to spend 45 minutes on a phone call. Yeah. So you guys have a very big emphasis on UX and UI and making sure that that experience is a lot better, a lot less friction. Where did that come from? And how did you recognize that that would be a really big part of the experience that people were looking for? It's an interesting one. I actually can't give you a, a really good answer. It was just something that myself and and particularly Sumri just found interesting mm. and important. It, for some reason, it just felt as though this was the thing we had to get right. We, you know, Paul Smith definitely helped with that. We also we used a lot of the Google the Google Ventures design sprint methodology in the beginning. And, and somehow it just was something that became really, really clear to us that if this thing was going to work, it was all going to sit in how we communicated, in, in how people interacted with things. And, and I think, you know, if I think back to the first year, that's where we spent our time. It was really just in trying a bunch of very different things, working with different designers, testing things against customers, and, and trying to get as clear as possible about what was going to work. And yeah, you know, I think in the fintech space generally, UX is key. And, and it, it somewhat, for some reason, intuitively, was key for us. We just somehow knew that from, from the beginning. What does it look like to start to grow the platform, right? So you've built a, a very good version of it. You started speaking to customers very deeply and really understanding what their pain points are. And, um, you know, you have those early assumptions about what you're solving for and all of that. What does it look like to start to grow this and really start to build a community around it as well? The customer growth is, is relatively easy in, you know, if you've built your tech the right way, that the, the thing should scale scale quite easily. That's a very surprising answer. Well, I haven't finished. <laughs> <laughs> but, but along with that, with scale, particularly in something like insurance that's quite regulated, the, the, there's a lot of other things which you could sort of do kind of in a rough, informal, less proper way when you start off, that you've got to start formalizing. You've got to start doing things the way that everybody else does it. And that introduces a lot more complexity. You need a lot more people. You, you, know, you just have a lot more things to, to organize. And, and so, yeah, the, the, the growth story we're in at the moment is, is going through all of the various things that you would expect with growth. You know, so, you know, the, obviously, the team is a, is a lot larger now. And you, know, the, you, know, you have to start thinking about how to actually manage a team at scale. You know, you've got to start thinking about ma- management structures and, and culture and, and all of that sort of thing. The, you know, it's... You, you start realizing that you don't know everything that's going on. You know, as a founder, one of the key things is, is just realizing that, and I mean, once you get up, I think it's above about just 25 people or so, but you, you just don't know what everyone's doing. And, and so starting to actually let people take over, delegating and just allowing them to do their thing is a, is a key part of it. We, you know, sort of having come out of the corporate space, we were really concerned about ending up building what everyone else is. We, we um, you know, and speaking for myself personally, I was, I was concerned about the way in which most corporates look, that the way in which they treat people, you know, starts to, starts to look almost like farmyard animals. You know, they're sort of mm. giving instructions and, you know, following instructions or the performance management approach is, is, is very narrow-minded, doesn't really respect the whole human, etc. And And so when we... St- Right, like early on, we realized that the kind of organization that we wanted to build was not some corporate. We really wanted to build an organization that we considered to be modern, and and modern in the sense of of 
treating people like people and allowing that to happen at scale. So inevitably what happens is as you, as you grow, things go wrong. You know, you delegate something to someone and then they mess it up. And then you think, okay, so next time, before they do that, they must come and check with me. Or you must put in place maybe a committee that's going to review everything that everybody happens. So we've seen in the sort of corporate world how this, this, this disempowerment happens at the sort of across the business and everything gets centralized and escalated and there's all sorts of approval processes. I mean, you want to, you know, you want to have a social function. You've got to send it up to the central committee that's going to like challenge you about mm. whether it's needed and everything becomes very slow. And really, you stop enjoying your work because now instead of actually just doing what needs to be done, you're fighting the internal dynamics of, of how to get things that you think are, are needed. So we were quite inspired by a number of the emerging sort of decentralized approaches to building businesses. And and I think the one that, that seems to have got it the best is, is Netflix, you know, in, in their book, No Rules Rules. We've taken a lot of inspiration from that. This, this Their concept of freedom and responsibility appeals an enormous amount to us. Mm. And, and I think one of the most interesting parts of what we're doing is trying to take no rules rules, you know, which you know, comes out of, I suppose, the, the, the media and content side of things and apply it into a highly regulated environment like insurance. Because in the insurance world, there's lots of laws that sort of talk about how, the controls that you need before you can make this decision. You need to take it through committees that have delegations of authority, et cetera, et cetera. We're trying to find ways to be able to scale an insurance business without having all the bureaucracy and and and, and sort of slow processes that typically are found in insurance. That's yeah. one of the big things we're working on. You mentioned uh, the Netflix book and the imp- sort of influence it has on your culture. I also sort of did a, a lot of research. I know you like the hard part about the hard thing about hard things. The hard thing yeah. about hard things, yes. <laughs> which is a book I'm a fan of as yeah. well. Are you using resources like that to empower yourself as a founder even now? And also, what other things are you using to make sure that you're staying, you know, I don't know what the word is, but there's clearly, you still have like a very learning mentality to, you know, learn from other businesses and the things that they're doing to try and better what you're building as well. I mean, I definitely try to stay clear on the fact that you know that where we've got to is as much a product of timing and good luck as anything that we've done and we I, I, I do think you know the sort of only paranoid only the paranoid survive you know Andy Groves sort of book and that kind of thinking is important the and, and just as a person I mean i I just really like ideas and I like, you know, good thinkers who can who can change the way that you think. And so I I try to read as much as possible. My book club would would probably disagree with that statement because they're all <laughs> way better than I am but at reading. But, uh, you know, I I do try to, you know, read as many sort of new things and and, and people who look at the world very differently. I'm also a big believer in meditation. You know, I, I do think that one's... like. I, like really giving one's brain space to be open and not to be fixated on, you know, specific ideas or specific approaches is really important. So it is definitely in my case, you know, I, I, I'm really trying to take as, you know, be as open-minded about how to develop as a person and, and you know, trying to stay, you know, keep you know, a lot of humility and, and just realize that, 
you know, all you can do is your best and, you know, the outcomes will be the outcomes. So with your dedication to personal development and then constantly just like developing yourself, I also think self-awareness is also a very, you know, powerful thing that a founder can have. Are there other things that have really helped you be a better founder and be better at managing people, especially at scale? Yeah, I mean, I think by, by nature, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm relatively introverted, you know, so I... I tend to need to work at connecting with people, particularly connecting at scale, you know, when you've got a lot of people around you to be to be open with them and to, to be connected and not just to kind of sit in your little corner doing your thing. So that's definitely something which, you know, like I, I have to work at. And I mean, I do find that stress is is, you know, is the thing which tends to produce more disconnected behavior. So a lot of it is really just about staying kind of healthy at a, at a mental level. Health helps with that. So trying to do a lot of exercise, eat well, sleep well, all the sort of basics. There's, you know, I think there's a lot of, I find that generally making a lot of small improvements, you know, in a lot of different dimensions of one's life is more effective than trying to find that, that sort of one big thing that is going to, that is going to change you. So, you know, making sort of baby steps on things incrementally improving each dimension of your life is is more likely to yield results sustainably than you know going on a diet of some conceptual kind you know mm. and and so that's you know yes i mean each of those fields you know if you take sleep for example i think there's a massive amount that, that we can all do to improve the quality of our sleep and that you know and that the benefits are not obvious but they you'll see them over time you know exercise diet all these things, you, you chip away at them, you know. And then I find, yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of good material on, on management, on like modern management. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's nice to go and read the, the druckers and the sort of traditional, you know, sort of management thinkers. There's lots of good ideas there. But some of the, the sort of more modern things, conscious leadership is quite, a, is quite a good one. And, yeah, there's lots of, there's lots of people writing really interesting things about how to be a, a modern leader or a modern, a modern manager. And I, you know, I take, take a lot of inspiration for that. As, yeah. do, as do, I mean, I think a lot of us with, at, at Naked are all sort of on a, a kind of journey of finding what, you know, how we want to do things. We, we try not to be too preconceived. Let it be quite organic. Let's learn and, and evolve it as we go. Yeah. Can you speak to, you know, having to build a culture in an organization? How many people are you guys at? We're not sharing the exact numbers, but we, ah, okay. we're not that small anymore, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, recruitment and managing a team at day one when it's like three co-founders and then finding someone that's technical and sort of recruiting that first 10 and then that first 20 or whatever it is, mm. looks very different at 100, 200. Can you speak to lessons to the differences between them? So the people are the business, and so they should always get, you know, the most focus and priority. You know, you can have the best system and the best proposition, all that sort of thing. But certainly in my view, if you don't get the people side right of it, nothing else is going to matter. It's not sustainable. So, for example, in recruitment, even today where we are recruiting, let's just say a lot of, one of the, one of the co-founders will, will, will speak to every one of them. No, no one's joined us without speaking to a, one of the co-founders before being employed. Maybe one example, one, one counter-example when we were away or something. But, but that's, that's, that's basically the, the, the rule for us. So yeah, I mean, the normal sort of recruitment scaling things are, are, are certainly important. 
but you know and and trying to trying to convey you know we, we've got quite a lot of experience you know Sumer and I particularly have you know we we're trying to work it out the other day we've recruited thousands of people over our careers yeah and and so you know we, we've learned I guess quite a lot from that process and it's 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 trying to convey that and hand that over and pass that on to to people within the team that is is a, is a key thing one of, one of the elements of our culture that, that you know again come, it's, it's big at, at Netflix it's it's big at, um, at you know like Ray Dalio talks about this a lot is is around feedback and transparency internally mm. now so I mean the naked refers to the transparency of the customer but internally the same thing so we, we are, we're really trying to build a, a culture where everybody is giving feedback to each other all the time up and down and sideways on an ongoing basis it's way harder to do well than it sounds right you know mm. we're actually quite hardwired not to respond well to negative feedback but trying to kind of incrementally slowly sort of break down some of those barriers and, and really convey the authenticity the, you know, the the real purpose behind feedback which is not to put not to crush people not to put people down it's to to help people to to, to improve so just to change pace here you, you guys have thought about very interestingly doing um insurance differently for for customers you thinking very differently about the structure of how you're building the business itself another point i think you guys are doing things differently is is through your brand how you're speaking to consumers how consumers interact with your product you know whether it's on the freeway or anything like that i'm a big fan of the billboards as well the one of them that i really liked was never meet a broker and then naked. The, never meet a naked. <laughs> I was like, that's just you know. And there's no website or call to action or anything like that that's actually on the billboard. And I'm like, these guys are thinking differently. What informs this approach? And did you have this thinking from the very first day, or is it something that had to develop as you got to know the business better as well? So, so, the, so the branding side of it's been a been an amazing journey. I mean, like I said, none of us actually have experience in that side of the business when we started. So this is inside, so Ernie looks after this part of the business, and it's been a it's been a, an amazing process. You know, we've we've obviously spoken to a lot of people. We we have Heidi Brauer from from Holland on our board, and she's been she's been very helpful. You know, and, and with a with a brand name like Naked, there's it, there's a there's a lot you can do and a lot you shouldn't do. You know, mm. you can imagine what's tempting to do with it. And and we've been trying to be really careful to find that line between being edgy and slightly provocative, but not being icky or right? inappropriate or inappropriate. Yeah, and 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 it's been it's been really fun to try and to try and find that edge. You know, we one of the things that should be clear is that there's a massive amount of insurance marketing there's a massive number of very competent incumbents and putting out just standard insurance marketing lines which work right everybody responds to you know we're cheap you know blah 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 everyone responds to that but that's been said a thousand times by dozens of brands mm. so how do we put something out that 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 stands out that lands with people right and so a lot of it is about Yes, being a bit provocative, you know, we've 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 leveraged the name a bit, of course, and and trying to trying to build. I mean, you know, you know as you know, brand, like branding is is right brand stuff, right? It's how people feel, and and so it's you know we you should you know in particularly on on outdoor and those sort of and that sort of those sort of media, and we, you know, we shouldn't be trying to 
give you things that you want to know so you can go and buy. I mean, we, we do that a bit on, on digital and performance marketing, but that sort of side, it's really about you sort of smiling, right? Mm. Having something which you kind of feel something that's a bit, yep. that's a bit different. That, that's certainly what we try to do. I don't know if, if we always get it right, but that's, that, that's our ambition. So obviously you, you're competing against massive, massive like marketing budgets and stuff like that. But on top of that, you know, with the amazing, or not amazing, but like crowded scene of, of number of players in the space, you also need to compete on other things, right? And the conversation might come up around price, around value, around service. What do you think you guys are mostly focused on really differentiating yourselves? One way of looking at us is actually at a pure price play. I mean, mm. we, don't, we don't talk about it like that because, like I said, we think that the, that, that headspace is, is taken. But what you'll find if you do a quote with us is that our pricing is very, very good. And the reason we're able to make it so good is because of our business model of, of having this technology platform that automates almost everything. So, you know, if you, if you think about the sort of so-called manufacturing process, if you, don't, if you don't mind the term, you know, we've really focused on trying to automate, use AI to make intelligent decisions with, within the system, be able to do things that other insurers find or that insurers find difficult to do because of the way in which their business models have evolved over the years. Mm. So we, we use a lot of data, machine learning and stuff, and try to, try to really re-engineer the whole way in which that insurance product is delivered. And that, and, and that, and that is something that we can do at much lower cost than, than other people. So yeah, I mean, we, we, we believe that when, if we can get you to try it, you know, then you'll see, you'll see the price and you'll, and you'll love it. And maybe you'll, you'll, you'll even tell your, tell your friends. So that's one element of it. I mean, we think we, we, we offer the most convenient product in the market. So we've really focused not just on the buying. So that was what we started with. Mm. But since then, we've put a lot of energy into trying to, you know, empower the customer no matter what they want to do with their insurance. So, for example, you can go onto our system and if you want to change the regular driver on your car or the overnight address, you can do that in like a minute on the app, right? Our, the, the claiming side of it has been a, a really interesting journey for us. When we first launched, we had a, a lot of help from, from other people. And we've been building out more and more of the system, you know, over the years since we since we originally launched. And you know, so for, but so for example, today, all of our car insurance claims are fully on you know on our own system. You can that means you can go in and register the claim, and then you can also the claim will actually be managed via the app. The the system is intelligent enough to be able to figure out what it needs to ask you in terms of any information that might be needed, etc. etc. It's a it's we think it's pretty amazing. We think it's one of the leading systems globally in, in the claim space for our needs anyway. And we're very excited to see how that, how that develops as we go forward. As a new player in the space, well, not so new anymore, but do you think of yourselves as a challenger brand and needing to consistently remind people that you're different, that you're thinking differently and you're offering a different experience to what everyone else has already? Yeah, I think so. I think so. As you said, it's a very crowded space. We... We, we do want to remind people that the experience that they can get with Naked is way better than, than you should get elsewhere. And we, we truly believe that. And, and we're continuing to work to make it more and more the case. Yeah. So obviously, you guys just had this amazing funding raise that was announced. 
Congratulations. Thanks. And obviously, this is validation from people that want to back you guys to keep doing the work that you're doing. Can you speak about that process of trying to raise money and really communicating the vision and the growth that will come because you have a lot more resources to do it? The environment at the moment, particularly, is difficult for fundraising. Absolutely. You know, so, you know, I have... A lot of sympathy for people who are out there at the moment having built good businesses and are, and are really struggling to raise funding. I mean, it's, it's very tough out there. And, you know, I, I think we, you know, I think we've, it is validation, I think, of, of the progress that we've made and the, and the potential the business has. And, you know, I guess some, some element of luck has always got to be attributed in situations like this. The, you know, the parties that have invested in us, you know, the International Finance Corporation, the German Development Bank, you know, these, these organizations, I think we were able to speak to them, we were able to understand their their ambitions and their, their purpose as organizations and to, to align with them. And I suppose that's, and that's always important when, when talking to investors. And yeah, I mean, you know, I, I communicate, you know, as a, as a founder, a lot, of, a lot of what it's about is, is understanding the potential that you have, communicating what you can do. In, in you know being excited about it and sharing that excitement yeah so this obviously represents a massive opportunity to grow and scale the work that you've already been doing south africa's unique in that you know it's a massive insurance market very differently from across the continent i know south africa is around 78 70 to 80% of the whole of africa's insurance market how do you think about growth across the continent, especially when you think about access to digital you know, devices or, or connection or product? So digital generally, and, and certainly digital in the insurance space, has got massive potential to expand access to insurance. And, and, you know, and, and, and in fact, even in this country, you know, despite the fact that our penetration stats look very good, there's massive underinsurance across most of society. Yeah. And and so we see huge potential to use technology to to access and deliver to a much bigger market than there is at the moment. And and, and we've already seen that potential starting to be realized. The I mean if you know the, the sort of maths of it are, are are fairly interesting, you know, that with technology the costs of, of reaching people and the costs of delivering the service are just lower at the at the sort of unit level, so each you know you're not paying a sort of fixed amount per person, which makes it much more expensive to to service them. So that that's a big general opportunity in sort of going slightly down market. You know you've got to be realistic with insurance. Insurance requires that people have got assets to invest and and a way to pay premiums, and and that means that for large large portions of society, insurance is not their number one priority, and it shouldn't be right. So as, as society develops, insurance becomes much more a, a bigger need. Across the, across the African continent, there is, yeah, as you were suggesting, massive of, masses of opportunity. The, the, the challenge, of course, is to find markets where there's sufficient addressable market. Technology, and in the context of insurance, because of all the insurance regulation, you know, you, it, there's a certain sort of fixed cost, fixed overhead that you have to get over in order to be able to service those markets. And, and that, that's a big challenge. I mean, so obviously the more things like 
regulatory harmonization you know, across regions on the continent. The more that kind of thing that will happen, the more it will open up insurance opportunities. But, we, but we're bullish. I mean, we think that there, there are exciting opportunities and we, we're looking forward to addressing them. In that, with that context, what does scale look like for Naked over the next, say, three to five years? And what products do you think you know, will really help you, you know, broaden you know, the, the, the impact that you guys have already had? So we're ambitious. We didn't start this to have a sort of niche little business. We, we think that in South Africa, the, the market is in the, in the midst of a significant transition. And you know, we're aiming to be the leader in that transition and to be one of the top insurance businesses in the country in, in the sort of three to five year period. Product-wise, you know, our focus is very much about meeting people's personal insurance needs. And that, that's likely to remain our focus over that, over that period. We, we, we're actually covering a lot of the needs already. There are a few things we'd like to, to add on to, to meet a, a greater percentage of people's needs. But actually on the product side, what, what we're doing is deepening on the products rather than broadening. Mm. And by deepening, I really mean about finding ways to further improve how we deliver the product as cost efficiently as possible and with the best possible customer experience. What do you hope your impact will be in South Africa or the continent as a business? I've got your, the answer that you gave me. I'm very curious if it's going to be similar. Yeah, 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 it will be, I think. <laughs> One of the reasons that we started this business was because we didn't believe that insurance was delivering on its purpose. Too many people were getting the wrong outcomes from their insurance. They were buying it in the hope that it was going to do something. And when it actually came to claim stage, they found out that it didn't. And also technology and the traditional methods of accessing insurance create a massive burden, for, a massive obstacle for people. So what we would like to do is to enable insurance to realize its purpose for as many people as we possibly can. As many people should be able to protect themselves, you know, cost effectively. And so we, you know, we, th- we think that there's a huge, a, a long way to go in, in insurance actually meeting its purpose at, at scale. Thank you so much. To access previous episodes of this podcast, but also again access to other shows on our network, please visit lucha.com.